Ballerinas. I'm your host, Georgia Dostal, and this is the Balanced Ballerinas podcast. This is the podcast where we chat mindset, self-development, the power of movement, nutrition, small business, goal setting, and of course, the power of ballet, and most importantly, finding balance within this really beautiful art form. Most episodes contain a behind the scenes into my life, running two businesses, GC Dance for school-age students and Balanced Ballerinas for adult ballet students. And I've also interviewed some pretty amazing guests. So if you're new around here, head on back to some earlier episodes. And every fortnight, this podcast is brought to you by Balanced Ballerinas Academy, my in-person adult ballet classes and online courses. Now, today, it was an absolute delight to welcome back the wonderful Sarah Kylie for her second appearance on the Balanced Ballerinas podcast. Sarah is a dance physiotherapist who's been working with performing artists across all ages and stages of their journey for many years and has just completed her Masters of Sports Physiotherapy in order to become an APA titled Sports and Exercise Physiotherapist in 2023. I'm so proud of you, Sarah. So congratulations. Um, And on top of her work with dancers, she has been recently working for the Gold Coast Suns as a team physio and for Paddle Australia with the Sprint Kayak Athletes and has enjoyed the challenge of really bringing her dance perspective into other elite sports and expanding her knowledge. But she continues to work in private practice mostly with performing artists, including full-time ballet, musical theatre, aerialists and acrobatics acrobats, acrobatics, acrobats, (laughs) as well as continuing to teach at local dance studios with a technique safe dance practice. And her focus is really on injury prevention and bridging the gap between the clinic and the studio, which I absolutely love. I've been meaning to release an updated episode dedicated to pre-point assessments for a while now you've all been begging for one and I can't thank Sarah enough for coming on to discuss and share just her energy and passion for this particular subject I was reflecting on our first episode together which was episode number 22 back in 2019 which feels a million miles away a million years ago And really just how far we've both come since then. It was really nice to sit back down and have a formal chat for the pod. Um, Fun fact, that episode number 22 was our first meeting with one another. And over the past few years, we've really developed a beautiful friendship and professional relationship. And it's just another reason why I just love doing this podcast. So enjoy this conversation. Let's get stuck straight into it because there's lots to discuss and it's a little bit long. So enjoy it's a wealth of information and of course if you have any questions always dm me i'm just found at the balance ballerina on instagram am i allowed to call you miss georgia on the podcast are you georgia on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) that was literally the first thought that just popped into my head that is so random you can call me whatever you want sarah i call all the teachers miss like everyone, even the ones I work next to, not who were ever my teachers. I did that the other day when I was interviewing um, Virginia and Meg, and yeah. I just kept calling her Miss, Miss Meg, Meg throughout the whole thing. I don't know Meg other than Miss Meg. But also it rolls off the tongue. Yeah, beautiful. Miss Meg. Miss Georgia. I'm actually going to literally start our recording from now because that's hilarious. I'm, <laughs> I'm keeping it in. Um, 
So I was going to say welcome to the podcast, but welcome back to the Balanced Ballerinas podcast, Sarah. Thank you. I'm very excited. Not many people have come back on yet, but I've been doing it slowly lately. So it's always fun. But um, we're going to talk about pre-point assessments today and just a whole episode on pre-point assessments Mm -hmm. um, because it's always something that I'm asked about all the time. But we're also going to talk about why... Even if you don't end up on point or even if you are not suitable for point work, why it's beneficial to do them anyway. Yeah. But the first question I'm going to start with is if I'm a parent, is this just a way for physios to make money? (laughs) I wish I could say it did make me more money, but it doesn't necessarily. I don't think that's always the case. I think where the pre-point assessments have come from is from a place of seeing trends over the years of 11 and 12 year olds getting told, oh, you turned 11, here's a pair of point shoes, and then not being successful or enjoying it or getting injured. And that was something that happened to me. I was definitely this tiny little underdeveloped 11 year old that should not have been handed a pair of point shoes. Yeah, tell us your story. Well, basically, I um, when I started point, I wasn't also the top ballerina in the class. It wasn't my thing, but I it was instilled in us by our studio owner to really... Uh, take value in our ballet training while we're at the studio. And once I started, I definitely had a bit of a growth spurt while on point, which we always talk about anyway in our consults. And I remember my studio owner walking past me in class one day and I was at the bar and I had tears streaming down my face because I was a little bit of a tough cookie. Mm. And when everyone worked it all out, basically I'd grown about a shoe and a half in shoe size. But I, the last thing that gets checked is often a pair of point shoes, unfortunately. And I injured my foot. I had to come off dance for three months. And by the time I went back, I ended up choosing not to start back at point at that time mm. for a multitude of reasons. But I still learned every ballet syllabus through every grade, held everyone pretty accountable in the classes, mm. but never actually sat the exams because I wasn't on point. And that's something that I don't want other... Yeah. How did that make you feel? Because I mean, I obviously also have some students where point, they've gone through their pre-point assessments, Mm. they've actually done all the right things, but point work is just not necessarily, unfortunately for them, do their anatomy, Yeah. but they still do all their classes. And when everyone puts their point shoes on, they, you know, I get them to do some calf rises or do something else just so they feel busy and they're not thinking about it too much. I'm very sensitive to it. Mm. Um, but they seem fine. Like sometimes that takes six months to a year for them to seem fine with it and come to terms. But how did that make you feel? Because I, I, I feel for them sometimes, but then they don't seem so phased. I think back then it probably didn't feel so nice Mm. for me, that's for sure, because I was watching the other girls, you know, go through that process that I was in class, I was working just as hard and I was learning all the right things, um, but wasn't seeing that side of it. But I think why, especially the ones I work with today, so some Mm. of your beautiful girls that I work with is the pre-point assessment also gives the dancer and the parent and the teacher a really beautiful opportunity to understand their body better, Mm. their own concerns and the critiques they get in class and how that's affecting their ballet training and start to understand why it may or may not be right for them. And so I think that really helps that when the decision comes that it's not what they want to pursue, but they're still going to value their ballet training and go to class, 
they are really happy in themselves and they know why they've made that choice. It wasn't a forced choice. Now with the pre-point assessment, they understand why they may not get there or they may have made a really mature decision with their parent as well to not go down that road. And I think that's why it does eventually settle okay with them is because it's an informed choice now. Yeah. It's not just the teacher going, you're not suitable for point. Yeah. It's these are the reasons why and usually it has nothing to do with the student whatsoever it's just unfortunately the way that their body is built yeah um, because we're all so different but yeah I love that that it's like an informed choice so you're more at peace with it yeah and the Mm. judgment is taken away they weren't told they're not allowed they were they were shown the pros and cons of it and mm. and remembering that a pre-point assessment I'm not there to tell them what to do I am recommending I'm not telling them but it is a chance for them to also understand themselves and make that decision free of judgment and not as a failure they're not not doing it because they weren't good enough mm. but because they realize that that's not their strength and they could spend that focus elsewhere and I think that's a really beautiful thing dancers already put enough pressure on themselves we're all notoriously perfectionists and and overworkers and overachievers so for them to have that safe space to make that decision without that failure connotation over the top yeah beautiful and then going sort of back to that question Mm. of of you know is it a waste of money and is this how physios make money off of dance mums I mean, the thing is that you have a beautiful report. I love receiving. I think a lot of people don't realize that the teacher receives the mm. the pre-point assessment. And I love receiving that because it's like it either backs up exactly what I thought or it highlights something that I didn't quite realize in a student. And so then I can focus on that in class. And so therefore the student's getting more out of the class. But also we, we forget that like, you know, it's so easy to just go to a dance shop and buy a beautiful new leotard and shoes and stuff and all of a sudden you've spent $300. A pre-point assessment doesn't <laughs> even cost that. Do you know what I mean? No. So it's like priorities. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. And, and I think it's not – I think the idea is that, oh, is she just looking at her feet and sending her off? Yeah, no. But in that hour we cover – so much let's talk about that so yeah because a lot of people think like oh is she just like I know when I send you know and we shouldn't just talk about mums and their daughters or dads and their daughters dads I've got a lot daughters. of dads that go I get a their, few dads yeah a lot and they find it fascinating love I actually it. love that they mm. come back and they go wow that was so in-depth like I didn't realize yeah how much is involved I'm like yeah your daughter's like an athlete and the dads almost push the daughters more but in a good way like they yeah. have car fries competitions at home and then the dad comes in like not being out of walk because they've done yeah. so many it's so I love funny. the dance dads so but, much but yeah so we've got all of that side but I've also got all my adults that go for pre-point mm-hmm. assessments and they think it's just about how many calf rises you can do mm-hmm. and all about their feet yeah tell us from top to toe you know as much as you can yeah <laughs> what is involved in a pre-point assessment yep. because I don't think a lot of people understand because I get the question of do I need to bring my point shoes mm. no do you, do you, know you shouldn't <laughs> have them yet it's a pre-point assessment yeah or do I need my ballet shoes or tell us what they need actually yep. first to come with I just them yep just them and a parent is great I have had to do some where a parent has dropped a child off um, but I usually will reach back out to the parent and explain so parent and child or adult bring yourself and that's it Mm. honestly no shoes I don't want to see 
shoes do you prefer them in some clothing that you can see a little bit more going on yeah. so like some tighter active wear or yeah. their leotard and doesn't tights. need to be a leotard and tights mm. um but as long as i can get a bit of an idea and see their legs if they come in jeans it makes life a little bit difficult yeah. but it's still doable okay. so however obviously active wear <laughs> is still preferred and that is honestly it and i'd always give out a beautiful chat at the start as a complete non-disclosure statement to every parent and child to take the pressure off that mm. they're is no expectation for them to pass to be honest I think I've passed five or six on the first go you're pretty diligent in the last six to seven years I'm I'm a little tough but with the right you know intention because I think one of the big things that dancers and parents don't always realize and we always talk about this at the start as well is that they did a little bit of research on um, forces through the foot in dance and in a demi point or in a, in a flat ballet shoe on demi point about four times your body weight is going through your foot mm. however standing on a point shoe 12 times your body weight is now going through your foot just because of the reduced surface area and a whole bunch of other factors. I remember you giving me that fact way back when we had our mm. first episode because you were one of my first guests yeah <laughs> and um and when I really didn't know what I was doing. But I remember you giving me that fact mm. and I just tell everyone now, I was like blown away. Yeah. I think it's so important because I think there's always a bit of a disconnect between the art of ballet and some of the more scientific principles. Mm. But when you bring them back into play, one, it really justifies why our dancers are such incredible athletes. And I will always refer to them as that. Um, but it also reminds us that what we do is what I tell everyone, supernatural, like, or super physical, sorry, super physiological is the fancy word for it. Yeah. We, it's not normal to dance, to walk around on your toes. No. It's not normal to put your leg next to your head. So what we're doing and expecting from our bodies is quite significant. And we should always be taking, not, not taking that for granted is probably mm. the most important part. And so that 12 times body weight principle is really important for the parent and the child and the adult ballerina to understand because it has a lot of implications around why we're doing the assessment in the first place. Um, why the expectations are so high for them to be strong because in the 12 year old or the 11 year old, the growth plates in the feet are not fully fused and they won't fuse until their late teens. So for them, we don't delay them until they're 17, 18 and wait for the growth plates to fuse. But we want to make sure that we support them with the right strength, alignment, control, technique, balance as possible to not put undue stress on areas that are a little bit vulnerable in that age group. Um, and when we're looking at our adult ballerinas, the 12 times body weight principle is de very different at the age of 12 to the age of an older adult and that's not to say I'm here to tell anyone to change their body weight because that is absolutely not the goal I have here. a question about that though yes. and I don't want to be like I don't want to be uh, I don't want this to come across in a way that it makes anyone feel you know that they shouldn't mm -hmm. be doing point work because I feel like it should be accessible and a goal and something that people can work towards regardless of absolutely. body weight because anybody who has a body has a dancer's body and can dance do you absolutely. know what I mean but at the end of the day, with, when it comes to point work mm. and going back purely to science, that it's 12 times your body weight on your toes. Mm. If you are a larger student, it, does it reach a point where point work is really unsustainable? I think in the volumes that say an adult or a child is doing it at a recreational level, it's about making sure that for that time that they spend there, mm. is it one, are they strong enough to handle 
if they can't do the calf rises on their own body weight, true, can they handle it at 12 times? So I get them as strong as I can and I inform them about the effect of, of that. However, they're How not do doing... How do you do that? Well, I think I'm really, I'm really conscious around the psychological effects of body weight yeah. and body image and dance as an aesthetic sport. And it's a really hard area to broach, but I really try to be open mm. and honest about it. And I've never really had to get to that point with anyone because most of the time, by the time we get that far down, they've really understood what's happening. And I've never actually had to tell anyone that they can't because of their body weight. That's yeah. a big That's a big one. I think there's this preconceived idea that if you are a little bit larger, that you won't be able to do it. Yeah. But I've seen some people who are incredibly strong and can match it. So at a small once a week point class, in the scheme of things, yeah. I am not going to hold someone back and judge them accordingly with that. Yeah. If they wanted to go full time, it would be a very different yes. story. But I think we've got to respect that the volume is also just as big of a role here as the load on their feet. So the strength is where I circle back to. Yeah, because that's what I've said to adult students in the past who've said to me, oh, Georgia, like, this is why I'm asking. Because yeah. I have, especially my adult students will come to me and go, oh, Georgia, you know, I'd love to have point as a goal, but I'm like a fairly bigger lady. Like yeah. I'm a bit voluptuous. That's their words, not mine. Yeah. And they say, but I possibly, you know, I really couldn't possibly go up on point with my body weight. And I actually do say to them, well, if you go through all the, you know, um, necessary processes, pre-point assessment, I always ask them to do my point classes for six yep. months in flats. Yep. Um, and if they're willing to do that and they go for their pre-point assessment and they do their homework and, you know, all the stars aligned, at the end of the day, they're probably just going to be doing for years and years and years some bar work. Absolutely. And so if you've got a bar and you're doing rises and releves, which is in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, incredibly strengthening for Absolutely. your lower legs. Like happy days. Absolutely. It so, doesn't necessarily matter if you've got that strength to back it up. Yeah. And I've seen some ladies come in in the adult group um, with the most impeccable feet and technique mm. and calf rise endurance. I Honestly, there was one lady I still remember her assessment because I took a photo of her foot and I think I bragged about it to the 12 year olds about this incredible foot I have seen some adults come in so stunning in their strength and their endurance and their control and they have been putting in years and years of adult classes to back that up I can't deny them that next step if they mm. can't show me a reason not to and I think that's really important is we do know body weight comes into play mm. it does because it's a lot more load on the foot but 12 times. 12 times. <laughs> uh, but it is, I think it's individualized is probably the best way. And that's where physio is really important in this process. And it's not about, it's about taking it out of the hands of the dance teacher a little bit as well. Yeah. I wanted and to tell, like, I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. Because sometimes it's really hard with your, with your dance teacher. You know, you can be with them, especially as a child yeah. for 10, 12 years, mm. pretty much. And then the whole pre-point journey begins. Mm. And if the student isn't ready, it's actually usually got ne nothing necessarily to do with the teacher and no. how they've been trained. It's just that they may need a bit more strength or yeah. a little bit more guidance with, you know, their body conditioning. Mm. And but what it does is because you've built this beautiful, loving relationship, well, hopefully with, yeah. with your students, um, I'd hope all teachers are, um, if you're the one to tell them not yet mm. 
or I'm not sure because of your anatomy or whatever, they then take that really personally. Yeah. So as a teacher to maintain that beautiful relationship, it's really important and nice to <laughs> give it to someone like you. Externalize a little <laughs> yes, bit. Yes, yeah, And exactly. keep it really um, objective. Yes. For the parent to know and see the process happen and see their child get examined and mm. see firsthand those areas they can improve on and be better with is something that you don't always get that one-on-one time with yeah. your dance teacher. And you're, I am 100% agreeing with you because I've been teaching for 12 years and you do, you have special relationships and delivering that hard news mm. with a parent and a child can be really difficult. And you could also be biased too because mm. you could go, well, I've seen like a, a student too. There's been some students go through where I've thought, oh, they'll pass with flying colours mm. because in class they just nail everything. But then they'll go and see someone like you. And then I get this report saying that they've got this weakness, this weakness, yeah. this, no, let's say challenges, yes? And they, we need yeah. to, you know, um, work on that a little bit more. And I go, oh, wow. And then a student who might not necessarily, you know, flourish in certain ways in class that I think, oh, she might need a few, mm. you know, passes after two goes because yeah. her strength is off the scale. And Absolutely. so we have biases as teachers because we've known them for so long. Mm. So it's really important to take, like you said, that process external yeah. to someone who doesn't necessarily know them. Oh, Sarah, phone going off. You should have seen her face. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at mine. I thought it was mine. It's all good. Um, yeah. So do you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just, it just takes it off the teacher's hands yeah. and into someone like your hands because that's the other thing too. Like on that note, mm. students ask me or parents ask me, adult dancers ask me, you know, oh, I've got this ache here and mm. what do you think about this? And, oh, I've got this pain here. I'm not a physio. Mm. I'm a ballet teacher. Yeah. <laughs> like, go see a physio. Yeah. And I think there's also biases not as teachers, mm. not in necessarily your relationships with students, but in the way that you see things. Mm. And I'm not saying in a negative or a positive way, but every teacher was trained differently yeah. and every teacher has different ways of teaching. And so what they see versus what I see with maybe a little bit of a different lens, um, especially now as a dancer, a dance teacher, but now as a physio, is I'm looking at things in ways that I go, you're doing that, but that's not quite working and that's not, or you're doing it, but are you doing it? correctly Mm. and I think pulling the aesthetic out of the dance teacher brain and putting the science back in of my physio brain really helps because every one of my dancers has heard me say this a million times but dancers are the best cheaters we can make anything look amazing like anything (laughs) look amazing and we can do it in the most awful way possible but to you it looks beautiful oh yeah and so when you strip them down in that pre-point assessment you isolate it back you put them back in parallel that's a shock to the system Mm. for a lot of them you can really start to unpack some little areas and that sounds like I'm being nitty gritty, but there's some really big light bulb moments for the dancers in that process and the parents. Um, and my favorite opening line of every pre-point assessment is, what feedback and critique do you get from your ballet teacher usually? What are the areas you find are tricky in yes. class that you're always getting comments about? And my favorite is when the, the student can't think of any. Because I go, that's a lie. <laughs> that is a lie. Your teacher gives you plenty. Oh, Try yeah. again. Um, it's quite funny. And the parent gets a bit like, whoa, hold on a sec. Yeah. Like, 
It's like, I'm not having a go at your child. It's just, she's not perfect. No yeah. one is. That is the whole point. Yeah. <laughs> and as we start to tease it out and they're like, yeah, I do actually get a lot of comments about my turnout or mm. yeah, I really do get a lot of comments about my posture or not pointing my toes enough. And yeah. I go, okay, are you trying your hardest when you hear that or have you forgotten? And when the teacher reminds you, you correct it. And all these little light bulb moments come out when we connect those dots back to their physical presentation in the clinic, that they start to understand themselves as a dancer. Yeah. And the parent starts to understand their own dancer and why their teacher is saying those things in class and why they look different to the dancer next to them. And I can honestly say I have had plenty of those skeptical dance parents walk in like this is a rot why am I here and I I love them because I really try my hardest yeah but that's because you love a challenge I do a little bit (laughs) but I can honestly say I still to this day don't think I've had anyone leave and go that was not worth it whether Mm. it was because they didn't tell me or whether it was because (laughs) um it's not necessarily about passing the point assessment. It's about the other information that I can hopefully provide in that period of time that regardless, like we said, full circle, regardless of whether they end up on point or not is still such valuable information for them as a dancer, as a playing touch football at school, um, you know, as a human being, as a human walking, being walking, we were talking as I was making my cup of tea yep. um, before we began about how you and I note people's posture, <laughs> postural <laughs> alignment as they're walking. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when I do my morning walk, I'm like, oh, that person must have back pain or that person's rolling their feet in mm-hmm. or the way that somebody's sneaker has worn down on one side yep. due to the way that they walk and their posture is just fascinating. And so mm. that's why I always say, especially in my beginner ballet classes for adults, if you come and you give this a go and then it's not for you and you never come back again, please just think a little bit more about your posture mm-hmm. and maybe incorporate some calf rises into your day. Yeah. Now I have a question about calf rises. Yep. I've been holding on to it since you just said before about dancers not wanting to work in parallel. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So in class, like there is rarely a lesson that goes by where we don't do calf rises mm. at the end of bar. Mm-hmm. Now I will often prescribe them in parallel. Mm-hmm. Very rarely will we, maybe we might go eight in parallel, eight in first and then eight on right leg, eight on left leg. But I will more than more than often do just parallel, whether it's single leg or uh, double legs. And some students fight me and I'll watch them. They'll just go back into first and they'll Mm. do the exercise in first or really turned out. Mm. What is more beneficial? Yeah. So... Because I thought it was parallel. Yes. So this is part of our pre-point assessment as well. So this is all incorporated in what I'm assessing. Yeah. But the reason why I assess it in parallel as well, I I don't believe, but now I will check myself on this, uh, that there is any literature or research to back up the different muscle activations or anything in those positions. Mm -hmm. But I will check myself on that. Um, Or if anyone would like to research it listening, please tell me. But basically how I look at it is... Parallel puts the foot, the leg, the knee, the hip, everything back into a straight line. So it's going to hopefully recruit things a little bit more balanced than in turnout. That's what I presume. Yeah. And I think we have a little bit better control over alignment and um, the position of the foot as it rises. The teacher can also see 
what's happening at the ankle a little bit better because sickling mm. and, and winging happens a little bit differently in turnout. The other thing is, is it kind of circles back to, in my, this is my opinion around it, um, the super physiological ranges that dancers are working in. Name me another sport that spends 99% of their practice in 180 degrees of external rotation. Yeah, no one. No one. <laughs> it's actually not normal. Yeah. Um, and so I think if they if we bring it back and we go, if you're going to be out there, there's a lot of cheats and things that you can incorporate to make that work. So let's assess it at a more isolated level in yeah. parallel. The other reason I take that is because the incredible Sue Mays up at the Aussie Ballet has done some amazing things in the world of bridging that medical management of dancers. And she actually drives doing them in parallel. Exactly yeah. like you said, straight after bar, mm. in parallel, um, and has quite a few little principles around that. And and if anyone wants to read a little bit further, there's a lovely article on the Australian Ballet website. Um, I think you look up How to Get Strong Calves, I think is the title of the article. Okay. But there's a little infographic. And basically she goes through the principles of what a good calf raise is. And yeah. I think every teacher, dance, ballet teacher, should have this stored somewhere on their phone. Yes. Um, but basically we do them in parallel. We keep them really beautifully aligned. And we want to build up those repetitions. At the Aussie Ballet, I believe they're looking above 25 now at the bar before mm. going into the centre. And they've managed to bring their injury rates in the foot and ankle down by a, an amount not seen in ballet companies anywhere. And yeah, a lot of people don't actually realise that they were the groundbreaking research into calf rises and the importance of it. Yeah. And then, you know, the not sitting in the, the calf stretch. Mm. They got rid of all their all of calf them. stretching. What do you even call it? Like Those a, wedge boards. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say a machine. It's not a machine. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a Pilates machine yeah. though. Like, But it just would sit in the corner. I mean, I remember when I was at the school down there, um, they they were in the rooms and you would just like sit there and stretch your mm. calves out and it would feel really good. Yeah. And <laughs> but they got rid of them. Yeah, all the calf mm. stretching is gone. It's all about building calf up strength. calf strength. And I think when we're looking at those body weight forces, we can see why. But the other little principle that backs up some of that is that 30 seconds of that static stretch can turn that muscle off from its full capacity for the about half an hour or so. Mm. So if you were to stretch between bar and center, good luck doing Allegro. I don't yeah. know how you're going to jump when the calf is not firing well. So that's a part of that principle of getting rid of the stretching and putting it in the middle. But I think back to the parallel component is I just think it gives us a more accurate picture of what's happening. And when you see those feet sneak out, some people actually have what we call like tibial uh, torsion or femoral torsion where their legs naturally rotate out. So for some people, funny enough, parallel is really uncomfortable and almost turned in for them anatomically mm, yeah so there are some people that are a little bit justified in their fight because it actually isn't very natural for them to be there and it would be yeah. like telling you to stand with your legs turned in and do calf rises yeah but again in a pre-point assessment that might be something we sort out and understand a bit more but basically and a student might not know that about themselves no. until they go for the pre-point assessment yeah so yeah. there's definitely reasons behind being in parallel but i think just stripping down making it simple and doing it well mm. is the really foundational key there like doing it in turnout there is a lot more at play it's less simple than in parallel and good endurance in parallel is the staple of what we're basing a lot of calf endurance on. So, and if it's good enough for the Aussie Ballet, I am going to back them 100% on this one. Um, and I'm going to be, I'm pretty, I've never prescribed 
rises in turnout ever as an exercise. Yeah. Ever. So I just, I keep doing what I'm doing and pop them in parallel. Please do. I think it's really important. It goes back to actually what you said before too, how dancers are the best cheaters. Oh yeah. And I think that, and it's interesting, this is just something that I have noted, the students that... they don't even fight me on it. They just go, oh, I'm going to put my feet in first. And they put their feet in first for mm. the calf rises. Um, they're also the ones that force their turnout. Yes. It's the same person. Yeah. It's the same kind of student. Yeah. And so they're cheating their turnout. They're doing their calf rises and cheated turnout. And mm. I always explain to my dancers, whether they're children or adults, that if you cheat your turnout, as someone who doesn't have fabulous turnout, that is my downfall, um, that you will not be able to access your full range of turnout mm. and therefore you're kind of wasting your time mm. so yeah I anyone listening just do your calf rises in parallel do them in parallel please <laughs> because one of the other things that sneaks away as a little side note for teachers as well here the other thing that gets snuck into doing rises in turnout is that we we harp on about sickling so much mm. and then you'll get your dancers over wing they'll push over onto their big mm. toe and if they're forcing their turn out they will sit on their big toe a little bit more because they're not holding it out at their hips so there's this full force going back down their leg pushing them back in again mm. basically and they will overwing. now i'm relatively strict on this is that overwinging on demi point or on point is actually just as big of an issue as oversickling. Mm. And I think it's because of the aesthetic component, it's yes. endorsed. But I, particularly with my full-time groups that I work with, this is something that is really, really heavily linked with a lot of their injuries and niggles because it's overstraining the bones and the muscles and the tendons and the ligaments on one side of the foot with 12 times body weight over the top. Yeah. And I think when we need to do, when we're doing our rises in turnout, that can get missed more than if we're in parallel. I think I'm sighing because what's so difficult is that you see these beautiful dancers in full-time training facilities or semi-full-time mm. training facilities, you know, on Instagram or whatever. I see them as mm. a ballet teacher and I think, oh my gosh, like this, stu- and I get, I get caught up in that. Oh mm. my gosh, the students look so beautiful and they're these overextended winged mm-hmm. feet and you just go, Oh, it looks so beautiful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what? But it's, yeah. They struggle more in my pre-point assessments yeah. than the tighter, stiffer ones because yeah. they have these beautifully mobile feet and ankles. Mm. Most of the time, no control over them. Yeah. And they are ones. The most injured usually. They're the most injured. And they're the ones that when you dig deep enough, they actually are struggling more in class because it's harder for them to jump. It's harder for them to balance. And they're kind of holding on for dear life 90% of the time. So they're the ones that actually, you might have beautiful looking feet on the outside, but is it functional? And I think that's the other side of the aesthetic equation that the physio brain probably sees a little bit differently. And I think why when we circle back, it's really important in that process of externalizing the pre-point process a little bit and getting a fresh set of eyes because those dancers have gotten away with it for a long time. Mm. And when you piece the dots together for them, there's a few light bulbs that they go, wow, I didn't realize that's why I found that difficult. Yes. And you can make a really big difference to their ballet, their dance training, and just them as a human being. Yeah. So it's a beautiful moment to see those people as well. And it's interesting to kind of sort of full circling our conversation mm. before about, a, you know, a parent or a teacher going, 
you know, oh, wow, like that student's a bit of a superstar. She's got beautiful legs and Mm. feet. She'll pass her pre-point assessment straight away. Like personal anecdote, when I was a young ballerina growing up and all my class cohort were going up onto point, there was not... Not such, you know, there was no such thing as a pre-point assessment no. back then. It just no. didn't happen. Um, so it was like, oh, you're all 12. Off we go. Yep. Go and get point shoes. And I was lucky enough to also have my coach, Paul Boyd, mm. and who's a man who's never really, well, as far as I know, gone on point. I mean, he probably chucked someone in for a character role or something, knowing him. But he said, I don't know about that, Sharon, to my mum. Um, I would rather her wait till she's well and truly 13 because of her beautiful legs and feet mm. because they're actually kind of problematic mm. strength-wise. Um, just because she's got nice legs and feet doesn't mean that she's going to be strong enough for point. That was his words. I mean, so far mm-hmm. you know, ahead of the time and much to my absolute disgust <laughs> mum listened to him <laughs> and i was a good 6 to 12 months after mm. my peers but by the time i got up on point i just flew past everybody mm. and was feeling really strong and obviously growth plates were a little bit further developed etc mm-hmm. but there's no race mm. and i guess not everyone will be that's why we have pre-point assessments yeah. now because and i think sometimes teachers or i don't but i know that some teachers and some parents especially if they've got a really you know uh talented child with beautiful legs and feet yeah well, why isn't she passing and why is that one passing mm. do you know what i mean yep. mine's got better feet it's got nothing to do with that can no. you um elaborate and explain why it's actually probably more difficult yeah. for the flexible foot yeah. and the hyperextended legs yeah. to have that strength. Yeah. So when we're doing our pre-point assessment and we kind of started to head down this direction, but we probably went off a little bit, is what's involved in the pre-point assessment. And this is probably where those yeah. guys pop up as, as problems. Um, so after we've had a really long discussion, it often takes up 15 to 20 minutes of the appointment, just understanding their injury history, where they are in their development, I ask about their birth history and their milestones because it tells me so much about where that child is at. Um, Family medical history, where their periods are at. That's a funny, I get questions like from the parents and the kid going, why are you asking me this? I'm here for my point shoes. But it tells me where they are. And the child's probably like, oh my God, I didn't know this would be part. Yeah. But also it's beautiful (laughs) to normalize some of that, isn't it? For these kids, because it can be hard to to not talk about it. Um, But we talk about all of that stuff and those like hypermobile bendy ones. In yeah. that part of the appointment, yeah. a lot of stuff starts to... I can always almost predict they're going to be the bendy one at that point yeah. because their feedback is usually around from their teachers, is around um, little things like fully straightening their knees or holding their balance or their posture or things that require, require stability mm-hmm. tends to be their feedback. Then you see their injury history is through the roof. They've got niggles, problems, issues all over the place. In their family medical history, mum will probably give you a list of her old issues as well and probably because mum was actually a bit hypermobile and already I can almost pick them at this point. And when we're navigating an injury history that's a little bit longer, having previous injuries doesn't mean you're not going to go on point. And I think there's probably this idea for some people that they'll hide them and not talk about them because they don't want me to not let them pass. Mm. But you telling me that really gives me insight into where some of those weaknesses are that we want to reinforce before you start this next journey and hopefully stop it from happening again so that's where they already struggle they have usually a list of issues that they've already got that we need to manage then when we come into the pre-point assessment 
and I'm going to give a disclosure statement on what's incorporated in a pre-point assessment is I've done a deep dive. There are systematic reviews even from last year that have been published around how to best do a pre-point assessment and what we should include. And unfortunately, the evidence in a science perspective isn't strong. It's not researched enough. It's not well understood, but that's relatively normal across a lot of the screening processes in a lot of sports is it's really hard to pinpoint that something causes something mm. because our bodies are so different. Yeah. Weak calves causes in like, we can't link the two. Well, it just goes to show that every body is unique and individual. Yeah. So when I say what I do in a pre-point assessment, a lot of people will do it slightly different or have different interpretations based on the pillars of evidence-based practice as a physio, which is the research with the second pillar of clinical experience. So what I know, what I do and how I see the, the position or the person and then the patient's beliefs and their values is that third pillar. And those three things put together really guide how we operate as a physio. Um, that's how we do everything. And that's where my version of the pre-point assessment and how I've developed it and refined it and developed and refined over years mm. of constantly changing it. That's how I've got to what I do. But that's why you're so good at working with Sarah. <laughs> well, it's just it's one of those things that it, it's changing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and out the back of my master's, I've probably flipped it all over again and, and look at it with a different insight. But my key non-negotiables where and coming back to where those floppy dancers fall apart is the calf endurance. So 25 to 30 with perfect technique. The floppy ones will give you 12 beautiful ones. And, and then, then fall apart. <laughs> and fall apart and get dodgy, bend their knees, shake yeah. all over the place. Um, they really struggle with the endurance component. And that's not hard to fix if they've got the technique already there. That's mm. fine. The next one is the range of motion is one of our pillars of of a pre-point assessment we need to see enough range in the ankle when they point their foot to stand on the box of the shoe and really from 170 up we can start to pass I tell them anything below 170 absolutely not we've got some work to do when I'm trying to explain that Oh, yeah. yeah. Go. When the range, is that what yeah, you're about to say? When I'm trying to explain the range, I get them to go into demi point. Correct me mm. if I'm wrong. Tell me a better way to do it. I get a ruler mm. to show like uh, what straight is. Up. Yeah. What straight is and where that ankle needs to come forward. It's very hard to explain yeah. on a podcast, but I think a very old school way that I've seen described is the pencil test where you line up a pencil when you point your feet and line it up from your shin down through your ankle. That was a really old school way of them talking about it. But I measure it, um, you're measuring basically their shin in line with their ankle bone down to where their metatarsals line up. So seated or flat or gotcha. Yeah, Yeah, so I sit with their foot pointed. I sort of get them to go on to demi point Mm. and use a ruler just to to show the alignment of the foot straight up. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's more factors that come into play once they're there because they have to hold themselves True. up there. Yeah. And what you'll see is some of them have the range when they point their feet but can't get there on demi point. Yes. And that's a whole other thing that we'd have to look for. These are all the little things that come apart in a pre-point assessment is actually you have the range. Look, you can do it when you go up on two feet on a rise and you can do it when you point your toes. But the minute I put you on one, you're only making it three quarters of the way up. Yeah. So those are the types of things that we see and pick apart to, and refine. Yeah. Um, but basically we're looking for range of motion and in an ideal world, 180 we need because we want to be able to line the box of the point shoe straight over under our ankle, which is straight under our knee, which is straight under our hip. Yeah. And when we have a hypermobile dancer come in with 
crazy hyperextension at the knee, which I don't promote as a beneficial thing for dancers. Mm. I think there's a whole nother discussion there around knee hyperextension yeah. and the dangers of it in dance and, and trying to get it. But when they have a lot of hyperextension at the knee and they can't control it back to neutral, then you've got to think that they're going to have to make up a bit of extra range at the foot to get that alignment, their body weight to line back up again. And the other thing is, is that a lot of them have the range but when I when they point their foot, they have a beautiful looking foot. And then when I push their foot a little bit lower to see how much they actually have, they have incredible feet. Mm. And they could go so much further. And for them, the benchmark moves. So we've now gone from a benchmark of I need 180 at a minimum to you've got 180. But when I put your foot there, there's like 190, 95 going on. I need to see you bridge that gap. Because once you get up on point, if you've got extra 10, 15 degrees there that you don't know what to do with or control, you don't know have the strength to get there yourself, your 12 times body weight's now sitting on absolutely nothing because it's just a piece of spaghetti at that point. It's yeah. not really being controlled. They're just sitting on it. Exactly. So that's where the benchmark moves for those girls. Those girls with a lot of range, a lot of flexibility, a lot of hyperextension, the benchmark's no longer 180. It's what do you have? Now use it. What's sometimes really nice that I've found is students who have thought that they've had terrible feet mm. and they've admired the girls with the beautiful feet. All of a sudden you're going through your pre-point journey. You know, the ones that think they have terrible feet, they're not terrible, but you know, they've passed their assessment. They're feeling really confident in their point shoes. And the ones that, you know, take a few good goes, like months of passing their assessment, and then they finally get their point shoes and they do feel like a little bit of wet spaghetti at first and their yeah. feet are just like, what, you know, yeah. it's like a nice kind of like flip because yeah. the students who thought, you know, I don't want any student to feel bad, but the students that felt bad about their feet now feel really confident and great mm -hmm. as the ones with the really good feet are trying to play catch up a little bit. Yep. And it's kind of nice and it just shows that there's positives and negatives to both. Oh, absolutely. It evens the playing field a little bit because you'd probably remember as a child too, like you often get categorized as something really easy or mm. you can self-categorize. I was told I didn't really have turnout. I'm telling you now, I actually realized I have relatively good turnout, but I just didn't know what I was doing with it and yeah. I didn't know how to do it. And I just kind of got put in that little box and left there. And the pre-point opportunity, the opportunity that the pre-point assessment gives, if we take point out of the picture, is to take someone who's been told they don't have something or they think they don't have something and either showing them that they do and they yeah. just need to find it in a different way or helping them to achieve it if it really aligns with what they want and their goals. And I think that's, we take the word pre-point out of the picture, even just as a dance assessment, a screening is a beautiful opportunity for a dancer to understand their body and go, whoa, I didn't realize I actually had that potential that I wasn't using. I just kind of assumed I didn't have it. And that's where you do see that playing field even out is it's an age where they're already a little bit insecure, their bodies are changing, they're a bit hard on themselves, they're putting pressure on themselves and to give them a little bit of a light to go, look, look what you could do. It's a really nice moment also for the parent to have that with the child and see that there are some strengths because dancers are relatively weaknesses focused yes. sport we're always picking that's why I always like to say to my students it's not a weakness it's just a challenge it's a we challenge. need to overcome yeah <laughs> yeah or when they say I can't do that my thing is can you not do it or are you just not trying 
hard enough? Do you need to try harder? And they and it's just changing that understanding for dancers yeah. is it's not that you can't do something. Mindset. Yeah, it's just maybe it's different for you. We're not a one size fits all. And that's where, you know, the floppy dancers we were talking about fall apart a little bit because they thought they were doing really well and you've uncovered some little issues there that they need to address. Yeah. Um, and I'll round that out with a third non-negotiable, which is just their use of their foot intrinsic muscles. And that's got a few steps to it um, around motor control, strength and then use of those muscles correctly with their technique i'm sure all the girls the whispers go around the studios once one of the girls comes in each year um, about the crunchy toes yeah and but it has more to it than just crunching your toes and i think that's another big component that we see the bendy people fall apart a little bit but actually that's where i see most of my pre-point assessments fall apart because the dance teacher doesn't see them with no shoes on in ballet class Mm. and that shows up quite a few things i used to be a terrible cruncher yeah Yeah, little scrunchy toes oh yeah um well you pretty much beautifully answered the entire question of this podcast (laughs) is that you know why is a pre-point assessment you know really important or really beautiful even if you don't go down the pre you know the point path Mm. you just answered that beautifully and what's crazy is you know I've just harped on about my non-negotiables but the point (laughs) assessment goes for an hour and in that hour I'm pushing to fit everything in and we test everything we're looking at I'm looking at turnout I'm looking at flexibility we throw core strength in balance you know there's so much other stuff that's in it I don't just stare at someone's foot Mm. and a foot is attached to a body and that body is attached to a brain who is a person with a parent yeah there is more to it than just how many calf rises you can do and in that process there's a lot that you can find in um, other, in areas of their dance that they may be completely unrelated to ballet that you've just helped them with and whether that just makes them feel more confident in class or makes them more inspired to do some extras at home much to mum's approval or whatever that results in regardless of the point shoes it's a great opportunity to open up that one-on-one time with a dancer and their mum discuss their concerns look at their body up close and just give them some insight into what they can do about it and how Mm. they can build it and make it stronger and more resilient. And that's where I wish it wasn't maybe called a pre-point assessment because there's this idea that you would only come and see a physio if you're injured or you've been told by a teacher to do a pre-point assessment. That's so true. It should (laughs) just be called a dancer's assessment that you do if you've been dancing your whole life or not even your whole life, but you get to 12 and let's go. Yeah, like almost like an intake. Okay, once you hit that many hours a week of dance, let's just check what you're doing. That's (laughs) true, Let's look at this body of yours. I asked the listeners for some questions. Yeah. So can we do like a lightning fire? So like I want like snappy, I know that Miss Sarah is not fabulous. Oh, no. Spiffy answers, but we're going to try, work on it this is your challenge i want a spiffy answer for these four questions no three questions first one key pre-point exercises to incorporate daily calf rises in parallel i start at three sets of 10 to 12 because i want them to be perfect technique um i love the pointing into the ball exercise if anyone doesn't know what that is i believe it's on a video on your youtube channel maybe probably if not we'll make one and um Toe push-ups and my dancers will know what that means. And again, may need a video for that one. Okay. Um, can You did well. Can I start point work with sensitive Achilles tendons? Yes and no. There's actually quite a lot of 
Oh, that's a really big question. There's actually quite a lot that goes. That's into, hard to give you. That's a, a yeah, because that's my physio brain starting well, to go down that track. Would your answer be then? you need to go see a dance physiotherapist yeah. to assess your individual needs. Absolutely. Because if yeah. you're getting Achilles tendon pain, something's off. Yeah. So let's it, fix that first before yeah. we even think about point So if you're feeling any symptoms on point or before you go on to point in your foot and ankle, you probably need to get that checked is the first thing. Cool. Okay. There we go. That was the answer. Um, what is, oh, well, actually we've spoken about what is involved, the specific movements, um, but this particular student want, wants to know before going for their pre-point assessment, mm-hmm. apart from attending regular classes, what's your recommendation so that they can pass? What should they be doing? I mean, it should probably be the answer to the previous question about key pre-point exercises. Yeah. Yep. So I think there's, that's probably my secret squirrel. If anyone's listening, there's your secret to passing your pre-point assessment is having your 180 degrees of point range, being able to point your feet with straight toes and and not curl them and being able to do 25 to 30 perfect single leg rises. But we do look and make sure that students have a number of years worth of ballet training up their sleeve. Mm. So you should be attending class regularly for a few years. And if you've had a break for a year and you've come back to ballet, you probably need a bit more time. So make sure you've got a few years under your belt of regularly attending classes and having the right technique and control and understanding of ballet to go with this next step yeah I think people are always looking for a hack and there's no hack no it's I mean what I say to my students personally is before you go for your pre-point assessment when we have that initial conversation about wanting to do point work I'm like you should be coming to my point classes for six to twelve months Mm -hmm. in your flat shoes And it's so doable. It's only like half an hour after, you know, the intermediate or advanced morning ballet class. But if you don't have time for that extra half an hour and the patience Mm -hmm. to do that class for literally six to 12 months, which is so beneficial. Mm -hmm. Like I love doing the point class in my flats. I don't wear point shoes. Mm -mm. I don't get time for that. (laughs) And in reality, like you need about three classes a week in those years because Ballet looks beautiful, but ballet is incredibly hard, Mm. incredibly... There's no hack. There is no hack to ballet. So you need three classes a week, you need regular training, and you need years and years of it to be able to start being in a space where your technique is just ready. Mm. And I think that's the part that there isn't a hack for. doesn't matter how many calf rises you give me, it's really important that the foundations of ballet are there in the first place. It's probably a great way to just finish this episode. That was my spiffiest answers I think that was I've given. so good. I should just do the whole podcast with you and be like, give me spiffy answers to everything. No, I love, no, I love how much detail you go into. And I know that like before we started recording, you were worried about like, oh, I listened to our last episode and I just, I don't stop talking. It makes my life so much easier as the interviewer. And, but you go in so much depth and it just shows how passionate you are about what you do. So. And it's such a beautiful thing to have that with the parents and the kids. And I just love it. I come out so inspired and so excited for them when they finally pass too. It's such a great part of my day. And the feedback I get from parents is that they just go, and those that were skeptical do go, oh, wow, that was actually amazing. I learned something. Yeah. Um, That was incredible. And at the end of the day, that's my goal. I don't want to fix anyone. I don't want to tell anyone what to do. I want to educate people. I want people to understand their body and understand themselves and know about anatomy. And like education is probably the bigger underpinning for me. And that's what makes me really happy is if they walked out, decided not to do point, but they learned something about themselves Mm. or about their child, I am so happy. And that's the best part. 
Yeah, love it. We've come so far. I was just thinking the last time we did our episode, it was in the top Studio 2 tiny little room at yes. my old studio. Yes. And now we're sitting in my boardroom. Oh, in your beautiful, <laughs> beautiful facility. And you've been studying your butt off yes. for how long now? Oh, gosh. I'm about to complete my master's. So it's been about two and a half years. Oh, sorry, two years total. Yeah. But my gosh, about to finish my master's. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. We're like completely different people if you actually think <laughs> the same but different, you know? Oh, like, yeah. Like compared to our first interview. So it's really nice. Beautiful balance. Yeah. And what a lot of people don't know is that like we kind of became friends from me randomly asking you, can you be on the podcast? We yep. didn't really know each other at all. That no. was our first meeting as far as I can remember. I think so. Yeah. And that's really nice. It's so, it's such a nice connection. And I send um, so many recommendations of the podcast no. to people because, and I play all the meditations in my classes. That's so funny. Shout out to episode, so is it 12? Old. I think it is. You would know. I would know. I, I probably had the most plays probably. of that episode, but I need to do you another one. I have promised <laughs> you to do you another one because because you've come on and done this for me. So thanks so much, Sarah. And and we'll get you back again soon. I'm so excited. (laughs) 